0: All right, how's everybody doing? Hey, everybody good here and at home? want to welcome you. It's awesome to be together and uh, to be a part of the greatest love story ever told, which uh, I appreciate Star just sharing that, which is God's love for us, which we're going to celebrate in a very tangible way with communion at the end of service. And so uh, we're, we're looking forward to that. Well, today we're in the book of Hebrews and uh, I want to set it up just with a story about an astronaut named James Irwin. And James Irwin is one of the few men who've ever walked on the surface of the moon. And he tells the story about coming out of the uh, lunar module and stepping foot on the moon. And as he gazed at that lunar landscape, he looked up and he saw Earth. And as James Irwin describes it in that moment when he looked up and he saw earth from the surface of the moon for the very first time he said that he prayed and he began to think about all the things taking place on earth he thought about the strife between nations he thought about hunger and poverty and rampant evil and a thought came to his mind that even greater than Man walking on the moon is the fact that God walked on the earth. And that is a breathtaking thought, isn't it? We think about man walking on the moon, that's amazing. But even more breathtaking is the fact that God became a man and he walked on planet earth. And that's what we're going to look at today as we study the book of Hebrews. Of course, last week we kicked off a brand new series in the book of Hebrews and we introduced our theme, which is Jesus is better. And we're going to see that over and over throughout the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme. He is greater than anything that we could ever possibly put in his place. And right away in chapter one, we begin to read about the greatness and the glory of Christ. Jesus created all things uh, by Jesus's Powerful word, He is sustaining all things. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. In fact, it says, Jesus is greater than the angels, and the angels fall down before Jesus and worship Him. And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't tell him to get up, does he? No, even the angels worship Jesus. See, Jesus is far superior to the angels, which is what we saw. In fact, um, Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 7 explicitly calls Jesus God. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever. And so we have here in the book of Hebrews maybe the strongest affirmation of the deity of Christ that we find anywhere in Scripture. I've taken a lot of my Mormon friends to uh, Hebrews chapter 1. To show them about the deity of Jesus. Well, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter two, and the the viewpoint shifts in chapter two from the deity of Christ to the humanity of Jesus, and we're going to see that change take place here in chapter two. Where um, in chapter one Jesus is far superior than the angels, and then in chapter two. Jesus goes below the line. He's made a little bit lower than angels. Jesus takes on our humanity. God becomes a man and he walks among us. Um, And so in Hebrews chapter 2, we we really see Jesus taking on flesh and blood. And so we have Jesus is truly God, which is Hebrews chapter 1, and we have Jesus is truly human, which is Hebrews chapter 2. And of course, all of that is affirmed at the Council of Chalcedon in AD 451. Remember that big church council? And um, they affirmed this is one of the central teachings of the Christian faith that Jesus is perfect and fully God, and Jesus is perfectly and fully man. And we get it from our own scriptures, from places like Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2. But I guess the question today is why did God become a man? It's the question that's anticipated in the book of Hebrews. If Jesus is so glorious, then why doesn't he look so glorious? Why does he abase himself? Why does he take on our humanity, even to the point where he suffers and dies? Um, Couldn't God have found an easier way? Why does God become a man? And that's the question I want to answer today. And to help us out, I just want to invite you to open up with me to Hebrews chapter 2. We're in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And so if you have your Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and pull that out. We're going to read our passage for today, Hebrews 2, 5 through 18. And I don't know about yours, but mine has a heading that says, Jesus made fully human. We're talking about the humanity of Jesus. Hebrews 2, verse 5. It's not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Or a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present time we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, And that's a quote from the Old Testament. And again, I will put my trust in him, from Isaiah. And again, he says, here am I, the children God has given me, also Isaiah. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely does not angels he helps, But Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human. Everybody say fully human, fully fully human. human. That's what we're looking at today. Good, good. We got to stay awake here. Uh, Fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help. Those who are being tempted. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for today. Thank you that we get to gather here today in the presence of God to read and study your word. And I pray today that we would see the glory of Jesus Christ in taking on flesh and blood for us. Uh, God, help us to understand the wonder of Jesus and the salvation he came to bring. And I just ask that in Jesus' name, God. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of your Son. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are looking at Jesus' humanity. Why did God become a man? Why did Jesus abase himself to take on flesh and blood? And we're looking at Hebrews 2. And the first thing we see in Hebrews chapter 2 is that Jesus became a man to blaze our trail to glory. Jesus became a man to blaze our trail to glory. And you'll notice again, the author is frequently quoting from the Old Testament. Um, You remember his audience to the Hebrews, so they're familiar with the Old Testament. So he's He's um, giving this message using Scriptures. He quotes from Psalm 8. Take a look at verse 5. This is what the writer says. He says, it's not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come. We're talking about the world to come. We're talking about glory here, right? And it's not the angels that are going to rule in glory. Jesus is the one who's going to rule in glory. This is what we're talking about. Verse 6, but there's a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Psalm 8, 4 through 6. That's Psalm 8, 4 through 6. I love the psalmist's question. It's a great question. What is a man? What does it mean to be human? You know, how would our culture answer that question? What does it mean to be a a person? What does it mean to be a human? You know, we live in a culture where our children are being taught a worldview in public schools that being a human is an accident. It's a process of random chance. It is the end result of evolution. And many of us are learning this, we're being taught this, Um, You know, just a few quotes, George Simpson, the most influential paleontologist of the 20th century said, listen to this, man is the result of a purposeless and natural process that did not have him in mind. So what's a man? How, How are scientists answering this today? A man, a person is the result of a purposeless process that did not have us in mind. Professor Susan Blackmore, maybe you've had this professor, maybe not Susan, but maybe this professor, who stated, you know what, in the end, nothing matters. If you really think about evolution and why we human beings are here, you have to come to the clu- conclusion, we are here for absolutely no reason at all. See, on the, in the atheistic view of the world, This is what humans are. We are nothing more than chemicals, than atoms in motion. We are the accident of a natural process with no intrinsic value and no intrinsic worth and no ultimate meaning or purpose for our life. How different, though, is what we read about in the Scriptures? Psalm 8. What is mankind That God is mindful of us. A a son of man that you care for him. We are not just specks of dust floating around in the universe. God is mindful of you. God knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. He created you. You bear his image. Your life has meaning and purpose. You are not an accident on this earth. It says that God made us a little lower than angels. That God crowned us with glory and honor and put everything under our feet. This is an amazing statement. The Bible is saying that humans are crowned with glory and honor because we are the crown of God's creation. And that's good theology right there. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 where God creates us. He makes us in his image and he creates us for two purposes. God creates us in Genesis chapter 1 for you and me to reflect his glory, number one. And number two, God creates you and me to rule over his creation. We are crowned with glory and honor. And that mandate is given to no other creature under heaven not to the angels not to the animals none but humanity he's crowned us with glory and honor he's invited us to live our lives for his glory and to lead our world let me ask you guys a question how have humans done with that yeah we've we've kind of blown it haven't we like we kind of missed that train a long time ago. you know? right? We failed. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And that goes all the way back to the garden where sin enters this world. Remember from? From our original parents, sin entered the world, and with sin, death, and it says that death spread to all humanity. So we have this. This glory in our heart, we are created for purpose and meaning and glory and we have this value and yet we fall short. Yet we cannot get to the life of glory that God created us on our own. We fall short again and again. We need help. We cannot do it because of sin. We need help. Uh, we have some, some new staff this year and we've been doing some training together. And uh, one of our training Uses the image of Mount Everest. And uh, it's a powerful illustration. Uh, Mount Everest is the highest mountain on planet Earth. It's it's the highest point on planet Earth. The summit of Mount Everest is is right around 30,000 feet above sea level. So, to give you some perspective, next time you're in an airplane, look down. That's Mount Everest. And I want you to imagine for a minute what it would, what, what would it be like to get to the summit of Mount Everest? I think for a mountain climber, that would be a lifelong dream. That would be a moment of glory. What would it feel like to be standing on the top of the world? I, I kind of imagine me like this guy in this picture of just, Throwing my arms up in the air, right? And Probably sucking for oxygen too, because there's not much oxygen up there. But you know what's amazing about climbing Mount Everest? Is you actually can't get to the summit of Mount Everest by yourself. You would literally die on the side of the mountain if you tried to do it on your own. I know I would. I would not make it very far up Mount Everest. So this actually isn't the picture. This is the picture. The guy in the yellow has just made it to the summit. He's pumping his arms in the air. Who's the guy in red? Do any of you know? A it's a Sherpa, that's right. That's the Sherpa. The man in the yellow can't get to the summit of, the Mount, of Mount Everest without the man in red. Who, wh- who's a Sherpa? The Sherpa is the person who knows how to get to the top because they've been to the top. And so they come down to blaze a trail for others to follow. That's what Jesus has done for us. See, the man in yellow, he doesn't get to this without the man in red. And the same thing is true of our spiritual lives. We we long for glory. We long for... I mean, this is actually a great picture of what God created us for. God created us for glory. But ultimately, we do not get to the purpose God created for us on our own. We need somebody who's been to the top to come down and to blaze a trail for us to get to glory. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Listen to what Hebrews says. Take a look at verse 8. The author says, in putting everything under them, that's us, in putting everything under humanity, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. In other words, at present, we look around, the world's not the way it's supposed to be. We see a lot of suffering, we see a lot of brokenness. But you know what else we see? The author says, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels for a while is now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And then I love this line. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. In other words, Jesus became a man to blaze our trail to glory. Jesus fulfills Psalm 8. Everything that was written about us in Psalm 8 becomes real in Jesus. Jesus was made a little lower than angels and Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor and Jesus is now blazing a trail for us to God. He is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. That's why Jesus became a man. He's blazing a trail for us to follow. I love this. In verse 10, Jesus is called the pioneer of our salvation. Out west, we talk a lot about pioneers. Who are the pioneers? They were the first ones to go west. And they blazed a trail for everyone else to follow. And and the author's saying Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. He's blazed the trail for our salvation. He's the one that came from the top down to the bottom to bring all of us with him back to glory. He's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's made a way for us to be human again, to live our lives for the glory of God. That's number one. Let me ask you guys, was was that an easy trail for Jesus to blaze, to get us to glory? That wasn't easy, was it? He suffered and he died. Because for him to get us to glory, he he had to take care of death. And that's our second point. Jesus became a man to free us from death. Jesus became a man to set us free from death. We've already heard the author hint at this back in verse 9 where it says, Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's an amazing statement. Jesus died so that he could taste death for me and for you. He died to set us free from death. But this becomes even more clear in verse 14. I want you to to check this out. Verse 14, moving down a little bit. Verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by His death He might break the power of Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So you look at this passage, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. We have flesh and blood. And so Jesus came and he took on flesh and blood. It's something that we call the doctrine of the incarnation. The incarnation means that Jesus took on flesh For us, he became a human. He shared in our flesh and blood. It's the idea that God became a man in Jesus. He became a real human being with flesh and blood. Why did Jesus do that? Jesus became a real human so that he could die, so that by dying, he could set you and me free from the power of death. And make no mistake, Death has a power over our lives. The most certain thing about my life and your life is that we will die. Death holds a power over us. You know, it's interesting. There's a book that came out recently. It's called Immortal by Clay Jones. Its it's, subtitle is How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. And in this book, the author lists all these health gurus who promised people a young life, but yet died at a young age. It's actually very interesting when you think about this. Um, from the book, he lists some of these health experts who died young. There's Leslie Roberts, a health guru who died at age 59. You've got the Grape Nuts spokesman, Ewell Gibbons. You know, I was thinking Grape Nuts. I'll just eat those and live to, uh, to be 150. Well, he died at 64, Uh, Robert Atkins, the inventor of the Atkins diet, died at age 70. Uh, Jim Fix, he was a runner in the 70s. He made jogging popular in the 1970s. He wrote a book called The Complete Book of Running. He actually died after a run at age 52 of a heart attack. Then you have a a guy named Henry Lodge um, who wrote a book. (laughs) This is great. Uh, Younger Next Year. Live strong, fit, and sexy until you're 80 and beyond. (laughs) So all of you who are looking to live strong, fit, and sexy into your 80s and beyond, I think this is the book for you right here. Um, But uh, Henry Lodge actually died of pancreatic cancer at age 58. So I think we sometimes try to dismiss our fear of death And i know when i talk about death i laugh it off i I always quote woody allen i'm not afraid to die i just don't want to be there when it happens you know that's kind of that's kind of my mantra but i think we all i think we all try to push this thing out of our minds and what scripture says is that every one of us is afraid to die and maybe we push it out of our minds until You know, you find a lump somewhere or you experience chest pain or you get a positive on a blood test. Scripture says every all of us live with this fear of minds because it creates fear in our heart. I was thinking even just about, you know, think about the last year with coronavirus. Hasn't there been a pandemic of fear that's been stirred up by this virus? That's what scripture is talking about here. It talks about people who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so many people live in fear. But what the Bible says is that Jesus came to set us free from our fear of death. Amen? Isn't that amazing? Jesus became a man so that Jesus could die and so that by dying, he could set you and me free from the fear of death. A biblical scholar named F.F. F. Bruce puts it this way. Said that, he said that Jesus broke the devil's grip on his people when in death he became the death of death. Don't you love that? Jesus broke the devil's grip on us when in death Jesus became the death death. Jesus died. He set us free from the fear of death. Death is actually no longer our enemy. As believers in Jesus, death is no longer the end. It's just the beginning of glory. We're going to be in heaven with Jesus forever. That's why Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. He's bringing many sons and daughters to glory, and he did it by setting you and me free from the power of death. How did Jesus do that? Verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Can Jesus die for our sins if he doesn't become a human? No, absolutely not. The only way for Jesus to die for our sins is to take on our humanity. So for verse, verse 17 says, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus came and he laid down his life for humanity. It says that he atoned. He made propitiation. He took the wrath and the judgment that, you, that I deserve for my sin and you deserve for your sin. He took all of that upon himself. He took the judgment and wrath that you deserve for your sins. He took it and he, he took it away. This is who Jesus is for us. He took our wrath so that we don't have to. And so what that means is when it comes to death and when it comes to to standing before Almighty God. There is no more fear for those who have put their trust in Jesus. Romans says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God. How do we get peace with God? By confessing our sins. And by turning to a merciful and faithful high priest named Jesus and putting our trust in him. There is no other way to heaven. There's no other way to glory than Jesus. He's God become man for us so that we can find our way back to God. That's who Jesus is. It's why God became a man, to blaze a trail to glory, to free us from death. Last one. I love this one. Jesus became a man. To understand our pain. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to walk through difficulty and pain. And this is where the truth of the incarnation touches our life in a powerful way. You guys ever heard of Versace? Clothing designer? You guys heard of Vers- Versace? Uh, I I don't think I own any Versace, um, but I I came across this quote. This was interesting. Versace, the clothes designer, was asked years ago about his opinion on religion. And uh, if you remember, Versace was, was killed. Do you guys remember that? So this is in his last interview before he died. This is what Versace said about his religious views. Versace said, I believe in God, but I'm not the kind of religious person who goes to church, who believes in the fairy tale of Jesus born in a stable with the donkey. That's not, I'm not stupid. I can't believe that God with all the power that he has had to have himself born in a stable. It wouldn't have been comfortable. I can't imagine all powerful God with all the power he has would have been born in a stable because it wouldn't have been very comfortable. Isn't that exactly the point? That Jesus embraced a life of discomfort? You know, I think if Versace would have been God and Versace would have came to earth, you know how Versace would have lived? Like Versace He would have been rich. He would have been comfortable He would have lived in his mansion, which now is some boutique boutique hotel He lived a life of luxury and uh, If you ever if you ever go to this hotel you can swim in the pool where the tiles are lined with 24 karat gold You can sleep in double-sized, king-sized beds that are so big they have to have custom-made sheets to fit these beds. You can go up to the fourth-floor observatory and get incredible views of the Atlantic Ocean because Versace lived a life of glamour and opulence, but Jesus never did. Jesus never lived so high a life that he couldn't relate to you and me. See, it's one thing for God to become human. It's another thing for God to live the life of a human. It's a whole other thing for Jesus to experience the things that you and I experience. But that's exactly the point. Jesus came to understand the life that we live. I want you to look at Hebrews 2.18. This is one of those amazing promises of God. It's worth memorizing. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus suffered, Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And this passage just reminds us that Jesus experienced all the realities of life. He experienced everything you and I experienced. And and it's summarized here in two words. Jesus suffered and Jesus was tempted. He knows what it's like to live with flesh and blood. He understands what it means to be you and to be me. He experienced that all. And I think what we need to understand today in the midst of hurt and pain and heartbreak and difficulty and brokenness is that Jesus experienced it all and yet was without sin. And because of that, he is a faithful and a merciful high priest. Why is Jesus such an effective high priest? Because he can relate to us. Jesus knows our weakness. Jesus knows our frailty. He understands our pain. He's lived through heartbreak. Because he is your high priest, he understands you and he can help you. Because he has suffered, because he has been tempted, he is able to help you. He can walk with you through the difficulties of life. So, what pain are you facing today? What, what difficulty are you walking through today? Because Jesus is here to help. Whatever you're going through today, I want to tell you, you are not alone. Because Jesus understands your.